Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Hello and welcome to episode 110 of the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. And after a fantastic FAQ episode last week, where we were handed a fantastic question from Clint McCormick about what is our best possible card featuring only one wrestler once from every match that we've seen live. We felt it was worthy of doing a round table on that solely in this episode, as well as the What the Nerds Are Watching. So that's what we'll be doing this week with our guests who are all the way from Leicester. It's Josh. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing good, mate. I've had probably one of the better weekends in terms of watching wrestling that I can remember, really, with the two shows, the NXT show and the fucking incredible AEW show from last night. So, yeah, doing really good, mate. Absolutely. And it's the start of a new era, but we've gone back to the OG. That is Brum. How are you doing, Brum? Yeah, not too bad. I'm going to go on theme with the episode number and i'm going to be giving 110 percent today <laughs> i love it i love it and if that's you don't you'll, that's be... Not true. You'll, you'll be getting about 65 out of me but that's <laughs> that's not bad if you don't you'll be shipped off to amsterdam to train by yourself <laughs> <laughs> i'll take it if that's if that's if it's on the cards <laughs> put it on the wsbf card <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'll hang around with uh, Alistair Black and what are the Dutch wrestlers? What was his tag team called in the Sumerian Death Squad? Uh, Michael Dante. Michael Dante, yeah. He was quite good at him. Anyway, we digress. Yeah. <laughs> so, as Taz would say. <laughs> yes. As Taz would say, let's get on with some What the Nerds Are Watching Jones. <laughs> I've been watching you a la 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 long, a la 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 long, 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 come on. So this weekend we had a fabulous amount of wrestling. I went to a show in Qatar that I'll quickly tell you about. It was so (laughs) much fun. It was Qatar Pro Wrestling. They've had some mad cards in the past. I was looking at the cage match, likes of Johnny Mundo, Del Rio, Cody Rhodes, Kevin Nash, all wrestled there in the last three years. Absolutely wild. We had Alexander on the card, the former Impact champion, but unfortunately he didn't make it, which is obviously something that's uh, happening to independents all around the world at the moment with wrestlers being unable to make shows. But we still had a uh, former WWE tag team champion, Royal Rumble entrant and WrestleMania wrestler PJ Black. And we also had D'Lo Brown. who was obviously inducted into the Wrestling Should Be Fun Hall of Fame underneath Waterloo Station in May. So that was a lovely surprise to see him again. Still wearing his European belt, takes it everywhere that that he goes with him. (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. So there was a very, very leisure centre vibe to this show in a kind of a hall that looks like the place that you took your exams in. There's a few basketball nets. There's a few badminton courts around. And then in the left-hand side, there's a wrestling ring and a smoke machine. And that's all you need to host yourself a pro wrestling show. And we had some real fun wrestlers. We had The Clown. The Clown was someone who was a heel wrestler, but brought probably half of the crowd because he was a teacher. And half of the crowd were his eight-year-old <laughs> class. So they were kind of like the front two rows and they were absolutely into it from the get-go because he was the first one out. 
did his match, cheated, then attacked after a loss and challenged uh, his opponent to a tag team match, which I'm well up for <laughs> in the start of uh, 2024. And uh, we also had a match which featured a wrestler called Psycho, who came out to Papa Roach, of course. So, so just to check, there was Clown and Psycho, but not Psycho Clown. Not Psycho Clown. Because okay, okay. <laughs> that would be a get. <laughs> that would be a get. So he came out in kind of jail, kind of like almost like a jumpsuit. Mm. And it had Psycho on the back. And <laughs> he wrestled in quite a like nice way and then won his match and then offered his hand at the end. We were like, <laughs> what's Psycho about that? <laughs> so was he the baby face? Or was he was he baby face, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is it like a reform angle? Because I really like that. That he's like spent his years in in a psychic, but he's actually he's now a good yeah. bloke, and he's trying to do what's right by the community. Love which it. Is, it's long time storytelling. Which is really what the um, nails versus Big Boss Man storyline should have been. It should have been um, a <laughs> like let's all get along tag team. <laughs> uh, and then the main event we had Classy Ali, who was the Qatari Pro Wrestling Champion. He's amazing, uh, proper like cocky brash heel. He's classy Ali, but again, for some reason, his trousers had barbed wire on it. I don't know what's classy about barbed wire, but, but but there you go. He won his match via low blow, but after the match, he was given the cleanest sky high by D'Lo Brown, who, who still got it, who then went up onto the second rope and did his head wobble. And me and my friends absolutely lost it. We had the best time. Wrestling is great. Doesn't matter if it's in front of 15,000 people, 1,500 people, or 150 people in a leisure centre in Doha. Wrestling is brilliant. I thought you said that you said that it drew 15,000 people. I was like, that is unbelievable. <laughs> so little heads up to BritRess, a way to get people through the door. Book a teacher. <laughs> well, we just lost Eddie Den. It's not so long ago, so... And also, it was entirely free to get in. And um, on the door, you could get a donut. All, <laughs> all great options to get people into your wrestling shows in the future, Brit Rest. <laughs> so did you buy anything there? A bottle of water, yeah. All right. Interesting commercial model. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting commercial model. But yeah, I'll um, keep you abreast of the updates on QPW throughout my time here. <laughs> to be fair, I like the idea of donut round rather than shot round when we go to progress. <laughs> Sounds great. Are we going to be getting Psycho on here soon, do we think? I would love to get Psycho on. Here is um, hero story rather than his villain story. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my time in Qatar. Let's quickly move on to Saturday's farm, which was NXT. Josh, I know you're a huge fan of NXT like myself. I didn't get around to watching it, unfortunately. I've seen a few highlights online. But what were your thoughts overall on the show rather than going for it every match? Yeah, so Wait, just Ross, like... I've got a mic drop for you. Oh, yeah. I watched the show. Hey, nice. Ah, I was just going to say, Ross, I had at least a couple of people tell me that like they hadn't watched NXT for a while or they hadn't watched wrestling for a while. A fair few people, actually, who were tuning back in having seen the card for this show. And I'd like to think it delivered. I don't know what you thought, bro. Yeah, I guess there wasn't anything on there that wasn't entertaining. Obviously, you know, we had two banging matches. I think that's probably not a hot take, is it? But for the rest <laughs> of the card, it, was, it wouldn't be anything I'd recommend for people to watch, but it definitely was enjoyable and entertaining. Well, that, that's what NXT is about, isn't it, really? Yeah, not, I, um, I feel like NXT these days has kind of, it's slotted somewhere in between NXT 2.0 and NXT Black and Gold. Like, 
it understands that it is a developmental brand, but also like it's got its cool aspects and the good wrestling and stuff. Sounds a bit silly saying a developmental brand now has Ilya Dragunov as the champion and Becky Lynch as the women's champion, but <laughs> there you go. So what was your thoughts on the Dragunov match? I know obviously we're huge fans here. The previous match between them, I absolutely loved. And we spoke about it on the podcast where Dragunov almost wrestled from uh, more on top point of view rather than his usual underneath. Did this carry the same psychology? Yeah, so I kind of like going in, didn't really think that this finish was a possibility. I'm not too sure why. And then obviously like the last minute or so of the show kind of made it all make sense and kind of along the way broke my heart a little bit because, yeah, I think Melo's going to be after another title soon and it's going to make me really sad. Um, So what was the, the uh, last minute? So after Becky beat Tiffany Stratton, which was a really good match in itself as well, I thought it was just touching on that for a second. I thought this was a real like, I know Tiffany's had a lot of buzz about her and I know we've tried to sing her praises on here, Ross, but feel like in terms of like a match this was like the one for her and I think she said as much itself but after that had finished and they had the big celebration with Becky and stuff they cut to the backstage and it was Trick who'd won the North American title earlier in the show and he was backstage with Carmelo and Carmelo's like a little down because during the show after Trick had won the title he goes back to Melo and obviously at that point they both got belts and um, so basically this time it was like Trick had his title and Carmelo was kind of sad and there's like a still image, which a lot of people have picked up on. And it's Carmelo looking at the North American title, which is obviously a belt that he's got quite a lot of history with. So mm. they were kind of gently planting the seeds that something's going to happen there. So, yeah, after that happened, I was kind of like, huh, OK, that makes sense. I'm not too sure because someone asked me, like, what now for Dragunov as champion? I was kind of, I don't know if you've got any thoughts, Ross, but I kind of feel like Dragunov's already beat everyone in NXT. I can't really think of anyone off the top of my head who he, like, he hasn't beat. No, he's beaten Braun Breaker, which is obviously the one that you'd probably go towards. So yeah, there's a spot there for someone to take up. And it might be a case that they bring up someone from the main roster again, perhaps. Yeah. I feel like... What about Big Bad Baron? Has he fought Big Bad Baron yet? Oh, I'm not sure. He kind of... I don't want to say he definitely has, but... He's definitely attacked him. Yeah. (laughs) I I feel like they had something, didn't they? Yeah. Because Corbs beat Breaker, didn't he? In the opener. Oh, did... He win, did he? Wow. He did, yeah, which I did not pick, but... I guess I, I kind of think about it in hindsight in the sense that it's no point having Baron Corbin in NXT if he just loses all the time. I get that's kind of his role is to kind of like put people over. But also if he just loses all the time, no one's going to see him as like a credible threat. So he's kind yeah. of got to win every now and then. And I think I think Bron Breaker could probably go to the main roster tomorrow. And I feel like we've been saying that for about six months. But I definitely prefer this Bron Breaker to the, the babyface Bron Breaker. But yeah, I feel like NXT is in a pretty good place coming out of this show. I feel like there's lots of different ways they can go with different things. So, yeah, I feel like it's uh, it's promising. I feel like Tiffany Stratton needs to be on Raw or SmackDown. Well, Raw tonight, ideally, but I don't really well, see you... what else she does in NXT now. It's quite interesting, isn't it, about NXT? Because when it was at its peak, they had those cycles where someone yeah. would be on there for 18 months and then get the call up. And you've got people there that have been there a long time and have reached a point where they've become champion and now they're not champion and they're a bit like, mm, what do we do with them? A bit with Bron Breaker, with Carmelo Hayes, with Tiffany Stratton. They're all names that you could easily see fitting onto the main roster. But once they get up to the main roster, who's to see what happens to them? You've got some fantastic wrestlers that aren't being used that have been caught up in the past. So, But overall, it was a fun show and one that you'd recommend watching. Is it Becky Lynch's match and Dragunov's match, Bram? Is those the two that you were saying about were bangers? Yeah, and again, yeah, just just way, way, way above for me the the rest of the card, which was interesting. I mean, obviously, I was quite excited watching um, 
Dara and, and Dunn in yeah. the Heritage Cup match, but that was fine. Actually, a bit underwhelming, if I'm going to be honest. Like, What was the outcome in that match? So it was, they won all, weren't they? And then there was some tomfoolery at the end and, and Dar won. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, because he's got, Dar's got a bunch of mates, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Lash Legend was one of them. Yeah. Got a yeah. great name. But I'm not sure about the other two, but um, they're uh, quite entertaining. But it's just like, yeah, it's really weird because you just expect that match to work really well. And it just was fine. Yeah, the other stuff, the Corbin Breaker started hot. Like we're brawl, but then kind of went a bit stale. For, again, this is all this is all me as a casual fan, so yeah. it's probably not that. Yeah, Dirty Dom lost his title, didn't he, to that Carmelo Hayes's mate, um, <laughs> who uh, was good. Not really seen much of that lad before, but he seemed good. But again, fine match. They, they did like a tag clusterfuck as well, which again, Creed Brothers are fucking unbelievable, aren't they? Um, yeah, good. Not really a lot of other comments apart from Angel Garza and what's his name? Humberto Carrillo had yeah, great yeah. gear. I made a joke on Twitter that they're the Mexican Wolves. Yeah, they're great gear. <laughs> really good, really, really good gear. And then, yeah, the two main events because it was like it was a double main event. Yeah, I mean, Justili is fucking great, isn't he? But as, as is Carmel, that was just a really good match. I've not really got a hot take on it. The finish actually surprised me. What's the other big move? Not the Torpedo Moscow, but the other one he does where he just like drops his like forearm on the head. He did that from like the top rope and it looked it was quite sick. But it like also at the same time, I don't know if it's the time of the crowd, but didn't quite feel like the finish, but was still good. Have I seen him do that move a few times recently? The he did it to Dijak in that amazing Dijak match that looked brilliant. Yeah, yeah. He did it to yeah. Dom, I think two weeks ago on mm. TV and it just looked horrendous on Dom because he's so little. <laughs> yeah, it's a move, but for some reason I was expecting a kick out. So when those happen you kind of like, all oh, right. Um not a bad thing. But yeah. Um the only note. Yeah, so Becky Tiffany Stratton agree with um, everything Josh said. I think, I guess my only bit from not seeing a week to week is that is the kind of match which was, if you're going to give someone a 20-minute main event, that is a way to protect them. Really spotty, just very guarded main event where you can just go big spot to big spot to big spot with a little bit of change in the middle. But I'm not sure what her normal standard non-gimmick bell-to-bell stuff looks like. Yeah, yeah but she did. she did well. She's quite an interesting character in that, obviously, she's a brat. That's her character. So, obviously, it's, it's a heel character. But a lot of her moveset is these, like, really cool aerial moves, which are very baby-faced. Yeah. So, it's quite interesting that they let her do that. Because I know a lot of times with wrestlers that are capable of doing a lot more in the ring, when they're a heel, they don't do that sort of stuff, which is quite interesting that they allow her to do that. Mm. But, yeah, but that's not my usual type of match. But, I yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I don't watch obviously much WWE these days, so nice to see um, a Becky match as well. So yeah, um, I, I would. I definitely think it's worth digging out those two. If you only had one, I'd probably pick the Elia match. But but yeah, enjoyed the main event too. Awesome, well done NXT. Moving on to Sunday, we had AEW Wrestle Dream, which was a show that was conceived by Tony Khan to be on the anniversary of the first year of the death of Antonio Inoki. And it was going to be a kind of a celebration of the world's biggest wrestling dreamer, Antonio. So that meant that a lot of the matches were based around wrestlers that were either trained in dojos or highly respected or wrestled in Japan. So there was a lot of representation from Japanese-based wrestlers, whether they be Japanese or elsewhere. And I thought it was a really lovely few hours that I saw on the Zero Hour. That was the bit that I did watch. Uh, they did the presentation with the grandsons 
of him and the presentation of the scarf with Rocky Romero. That was a lovely touch. And I know in wrestling, it's so easy to point fingers and laugh and say this is too sentimental or it's bullshit. But I thought it was just a, a lovely moment. What did you guys make of the fact that this was based around a tribute, Josh? I think it's a great concept, really. I really do. Um, I think if you're going to pay tribute to a, an influential figure in wrestling, I think Antonio Inoke is probably the one you would pick, particularly with um, AW's ties to New Japan and, and Tony Khan somewhat of like a, a wrestling historian. He really digs into like stuff that means a lot and he kind of hits the nail on the head a lot. Obviously, we've got the Owen Hart Memorial Cup and um, he's done other things as well in the past. So, yeah, I thought from that point of view, I thought it was really well done much like an awful lot on this show. I only actually have two negative things to say about the whole show, which I think, given how long it was, I don't think that's too bad. My first one being that 14 matches is absolutely fucking absurd and 10 out, ten matches on a main card, which is hilarious given that what we're going to talk about later, I do have 10 matches on my card. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's just ridiculous. And having one women's match out of those 14, I think is kind of poor, but that's a different conversation for another day. Other than that, I literally only have positives to say about this show. I thought it was absolutely exceptional. And it's probably my show of the year so far, I think. I think I'll go that far. Yeah. Positive stuff. Brum, how did you feel that this show kind of fell into the wrestling world? Do you feel it was a like shoehorn show? Or do you feel it's something that they'll maybe do every year? I mean, this is a shoehorn show. I probably have a different take on it. This was AEW finding ways to expand their number of pay-per-views a year. And this was, like, I thought a little bit hackneyed. I obviously, I think probably out of the um, wrestling should be fun posse and probably, I think, usually touted as the Japanese wrestling guy, whether fairly or unfairly, apart from Barnett, which is legit, and I love Josh. But I, I love you, Josh, as well. But I also, love, I also <laughs> love Josh Barnett. He's great too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, which was obviously, that was pre-show. And then you had Shibata, and then after that, it's all a little bit tenuous. Like, I remember when I was first heard about the concept of Wrestle Dream, and I thought, holy shit, it's going to be a Japanese AW show. That's sick. And it's like, oh, it's in Seattle, and it might have a couple of Japanese wrestlers on. And then there's a little bit in, in a pre-show with a scarf. And I, I'm not knocking it from, like, a, a way that I don't like the sentimental stuff. I thought it was really cute. I really like that presentation. No issues with it. But... Is this about Inoki or is this about AW just squeezing in an extra pay-per-view to their calendar? I think it's the latter. And that's why I think it's going to be a continuous one. But then I'll be proved wrong next year when they remove it. But that, <laughs> but by the way, that, that doesn't affect my experience of anything because I'm a cynical corporate stooge and I've got no problem with them doing that. It was just, yeah, I just think it's... I don't think if you looked at this and compared it to any other AW card the wrestlers on it would stand out to say, oh, right, yeah, they've done that for Anoki. Yeah. yeah. So from the bits that I did see, don't know if you watched the Zero Hour run. Yeah, I watched the full shebang. I do my job, unlike some people. <laughs> um, so I saw online that there was a lot of um, fun memes about Moxley on commentary during the main show, but um, <laughs> I actually thought that, that his commentary for the Josh Barnett match was incredible. The like, yeah. the like backstory that he was giving to Josh Barnett, the backstory that he was giving to Claudio in like a kayfabe way. And then the kind of like just kind of back and forth that he was giving Jim Ross. I'm a <laughs> bit of a JR massive fan because of my love of like NWA 91, 92 stuff that really is my jam. And Jim Ross in those calls is just easily one of the best to ever do it. And I felt it was really nice that during that Josh Barnett match that JR was kind of treated almost like a, as an equal and sometimes I feel like Excalibur and stuff treat him a bit like, 
with an eye roll, which is fair because he is kind of out of place there. But it was just quite nice that he had Moxley doing his thing and Jim Ross felt like he was really like part of it. Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, the, the commentary, the whole show, I thought was a was a real highlight. Um, we'll probably get to it later, but McGuinness later on had a, one of the all-time commentary masterclasses for me. Um, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, Moxley's great. And, and, and JR, not just in that, but actually later in the in the show, I thought was, I'm never, never, never going to say back to his best, but I think worked well in the dynamic. Nice. So moving on to the actual show itself, which I didn't see. Josh, what were your highlights? Oof, I, don't, I don't even know where to start because I feel like the amount of times I said to people, God, this could be a match of the year candidate was like ridiculous by the end of the show. I don't know if I'm going to be able to remember them chronologically, but Swerve against Hangman I thought was fascinating, given it was in Seattle. I can't remember the last time Hangman was like hated by a crowd outside of Chicago, maybe. So that made it absolutely fascinating, given that like Swerve's become this almost like super villain in recent months. And he's like fucking incredible at it. And here he was like, he was like a demigod to these people. It was ridiculous. Um, yeah, it was a bit, um, I was hearing online, it was a bit MJF in Long Island when it... Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic comparison to make, actually. And the match itself was fantastic, obviously. I kind of, like, I don't know when they're going to, I really want them to, like, strap the rocket to Swerve now. I feel like he should just go on a tear and just beat everyone. If he was the guy to beat Max, I, I wouldn't complain too much if they could make that work and make sense creatively. I think it's been um, quite interesting with Swerve because Swerve arrived in AEW and really struggled to get much TV time. And when he did get TV time, he would win on Rampage and then lose on Dynamite yeah. or a pay-per-view. Yeah. And this run that he's on at the moment shows that he's capable of much more. But also it shows that AEW, if you're going to be handing these people long-term contracts, maybe there is space to kind of not have to give everyone the main event push straight away, you know, like... There was the conversations that we've had in the past about is the roster too stacked? Maybe there is time and space for these people to be cooled off and heated up at different times on the show, which is really good. And also it's kind of timely that um, we're talking about Swerve because I did a post yesterday that it's two years to the day that SmackDown traded him. So that's crazy to think about the fact that he went to SmackDown after a great NXT run with his stable and was given one match and then released. And it's proof now how much of a miss that was. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I kind of agree with what you were saying, really. He was kind of here and there, and now I feel like he's really in his groove. That The promo segment a few weeks ago that you had with Hangman, where he just absolutely tore him a new one, I thought was fucking incredible. So yeah, that was great. I don't feel like I really need to say that Danielson, Zack Sabre Jr. was incredible. Shock, of course it was. Um, did it um, live up like... to the expectations more so than at the Okada match did? It did for me, absolutely, yeah. I kind of feel like, I mean, we know now in hindsight that Danielson was wrestling with one arm. And I feel like, I can't remember who said it, but I feel like people said that Okada was kind of saving himself for the G1, which is a bit shitty, but like, I guess it makes sense. But yeah, this match between Zach and, and Danielson was like, I'm not sure what Brum will say, but it was what I imagined a Danielson Zach Sabre Jr. match would be. And without stealing Brum's thunder too much, I thought Nigel absolutely was as important to this match as the two wrestlers in the ring. I thought he... His kind of like gimmick over the last few weeks of basically hating on Danielson <laughs> was great. And then on uh, Collision on Saturday, him and Zach being like best buddies on commentary was like fantastic. And it kind of bled into this match as well. Yeah. And obviously, Bram, this is a bit of a wet dream match for you. Did it live up to your expectations of what it could be? Yeah. I mean, these are my two favourite Western wrestlers. 
probably by country mile. Obviously, just ticks my boxes completely. I think I'm just really sad that I think the rumours a long time ago were they were maybe going to have a match at Craven Cottage when we thought that that was a show that was going to happen. Yeah. And then, obviously, when we were talking about what All In at Wembley was going to look like, the two rumours were... Danielson Sabre and, and Danielson McGuinness, if you include historic wrestlers, is my other favourite Western wrestler, is Nigel McGuinness. So that that was very good. So my only sadness is that, and being very, very selfish, uh, I didn't get to see it in the flesh. But yeah, it was just, it was just incredible. I think, again, I've got no real hot takes on it. I think look, my favourite bit was Zach goading Brian into using his weaker arm and then immediately just cutting it off and then taking the match from there. I also, again, going back to commentary jobs, McGuinness was absolutely incredible at kind of doing the, obviously, like, being anti-Danielson through it, but not undermining him. Like, there was a moment towards the end of the match where they where they talked to, you know, basically about, oh, Danielson trouble. He's got, oh, well, he's not now because he's about to take out Zach. Like, kind of hyping him up while simultaneously, obviously... <laughs> because he's his like, career foe, managing to just build that narrative in gorgeously without out it sounding hackneyed, which most modern heel commentators do. Like, <laughs> I know people up and down him. I found Corey Graves just unlistenable because it just felt like Heenan parody, while, like, McGuinness just, just got it fantastically. And in terms of the Mox stuff, basically, Mox did pretty much what narrative storytelling is about in any in any format, which is dropping nuggets early on and then seeing them come to life and expanding on them. And early on, Mox just did a cheeky little bit of commentary, which was essentially saying that Zach probably does have the edge on Danielson on the mat and technically, but Danielson can outstrike him. And that's the way the match is going to go. That's what happened. And then at the end, post-match, McGuinness struck to Clever Zinger, like, which brought the whole thing 360, tying back the two threads that I was talking about by saying Danielson won the match, but he didn't prove he was a better technical wrestler than Zach, yeah. which obviously sets up whatever's going to happen in the future, or, I don't know, a submission matchup or whatever in any of this or a different company. And it was just so obviously Zach and Brian was brilliant because they're two absolute fucking gods, but it's just the presentation, everything around it worked really well. The crowd bought into it really well. It was just perfect. And yeah, but, but Danielson, one last time, he's obviously noted that this is his last year in wrestling. Obviously, this is a wrestler saying it and never say never in wrestling. <laughs> but would your perfect send off for Danielson be him going to New Japan and wrestling Zack Sabre to put Zack Sabre over on Wrestle Kingdom and then ending in AEW with a, like kind of a farewell match up against your man, Nigel? I actually don't think he's going to retire in a year. I, I'm not sure if he's... Speci- this is where I'm like, find loads of quotes where he said it specifically. But I got the impression he was just going to move to a, a much heavier reduced schedule in a year's time. So I think it is probably a better use to him to... Because the benefit of having a, almost a semi-retirement or a slight going out to pasture match is you can have it as a passing of the torch and then leave out some of you maybe more marquee... Um, spectacle matches separately. So then, yeah, yeah, I think him doing that to Zach would be ideal, but I'm obviously violently biased in that. Because obviously it's something that he's said that he's dreamed about, right? Going to wrestle for them. And it's something that yeah. he hasn't done in so long, right? Yeah, because I don't think he'll do the G1 because of how how grueling it is. But 
Yeah, it makes sense for him to do because he could he could maybe do that at something like Dominion. He, he could also do something at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. So I think whatever it is, I think we're in line for a really exciting twelve months. Just before I um, we're going to the main event, Brum. Just to kind of back up what you said in the like the post show press conference, Danielson said about what you said. He said um, this match was meant to decide like who was the best technical wrestler in the world, and you would think that would be the winner. But he said that although I won the match, I'm not sure it proved I was the best technical wrestler. So I think yeah, that kind of leans into what you said about them doing something else, maybe at Wrestle Kingdom or whatever down the line. Yeah, and and, and actually probably just before we jump into the main event, I did probably a couple of thoughts on on some of the prior matches. Just if anyone's listening to this as a as a guide to what to watch and what not to, MJF versus the Righteous. It's just <laughs> MJF's really over, isn't he? Uh, if you like MJF and his shtick, um, which I'm sure most people do, it's entertaining, but it's it's not going to set the world on fire. Kingston Shibata <laughs> is a modern Shibata match, the better end of a modern Shibata match. If you liked Shibata versus Zach Narita. I'm trying to think of some of the other better modern Shibata matches. Daniel Garcia, Tom Lawler, maybe the best one. But it's sort of up there with them. Decent match, but it's a modern Shibata match. You know, his best match was probably the last match before his injury. But um, yeah, he's still, he's still Shibata and it's still fun to watch him. But that's what you're expecting. Statlander, Julia Hart. Statlander slapping the mist out of Julia's mouth was a, a lovely moment. And it was all right. Not really more than that. And then I think there's just a few matches on the card. I'm not going to go through everything one by one, but there's the the multi-man tag clusterfuck match. Ricky Starks, Utah, Don Callis family, and sadly, FTR Aussie Open, which were all fine. Decent matches, but skippable. This is, by the way, I agree with Josh, Wrestle Dream was my card of the year, but it was absolutely fantastic. But it just meant that all those matches were good and watchable, but not mind-blowing. But actually, if you think of it, forget about some of the peak NXT cards when they just had like five matches. But if you think yeah. of this length, I guess most probably wrestling geeks would say best wrestling cards of all time would probably Wrestle Kingdom like 9, 10, 11, that era. But they had a lot of average, decent, multi-man matches in. That's not worth talking about. So, so no knock on the card. Apart from FTR Aussie Open was a bit of a letdown for me. I thought that match was going to absolutely bang. The previous match, obviously, was incredible. And I thought that was just fine. Have I misinterpreted that, Josh? Or did you feel... Similar? No, I kind of I kind of agreed with you. I like... This is the problem when you have 10 matches on a four-hour show. Fair play. Not everything can be amazing. The fact we got, like, three Match of the Year candidates out of 10, I think it's pretty good going, considering yeah. how much they have to, like, cram in. But no, I I agree with you. Like nothing on this show was bad. It's just some stuff was fine. And I think when your worst is fine, I think that's pretty good going. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. And the only other thing, I just echo Josh's points about Swerve Adam Page as being really, really, really good. But it, it's actually, I think it is the archetypal modern banger match, which is it's so much. It's ultra modern as a wrestling match it's almost taken what you've seen in like new japan for the past 10 years aw for the past however the hell long i'm going four years or whatever it is and like just does it to like a level and by mean level i don't necessarily mean quality but a level of ultra modernity of professional wrestling than i can remember seeing these two guys who are both just incredible athletes but incredibly precise technical wrestlers particularly swerve and just wrestling at this Pace and like it's almost like a, a computer game, but in a good way. Everything is just so like perfect and but high voltage, but at the same time done with 
really good story beats with an engaged crowd. So is that my preferred type of like ideal type of wrestling? No, I actually prefer it to be slightly less crisp and I like Stan Hansen and Kawada just beating each other up. But does it not make it any less like kind of awe-inspiring, incredible to watch? It was just my, it's honestly, I just thought this is like the most ultra-modern, pure kind of 2023 or 2030 banger match, like epic banger match that I could imagine. It's almost like, People talked about that when watching guys like Ricochet, who are ultra crisp, like technically perfect, million miles an hour. But I've always been, a, apart from the odd PWG six-man banger, I've always been a bit dead on Ricochet. And that's no knock on him. He's an incredible, incredible talent. But he was just, as I said, he's, he's almost too good, Clive. This wasn't that. This had all the story and everything wrapped around it. But it was just this, like, Ultra-modern is the word I come back to. I don't know if that's me interpreting it in a in a completely missed way, but just compare it to anything I've previously seen, and it has a clear history to it. But just, yeah, it was just so just like wowed by what was going on. Sounds amazing. And makes me even more annoyed that we didn't get Strickland last year. <laughs> <laughs> you think you know me. So let's head into the main event, which is obviously highlighted with the debut of the rated R superstar Adam Copeland in AEW. Let's talk about the match itself first. Josh, what did you make of the two out of three falls? I saw on Twitter some of the bumps that uh, Darby Allen took and winced. I'm sure that you did too. Yeah, Darby (laughs) Allen's an absolute psychopath. I don't know how he's literally in one piece. The bump he took on the steps was one of the one of the most minging bumps I've ever seen. Like one of the hardest bumps to watch I've, I've ever watched. Yeah, I just don't know how he's alive. The spot they did where Christian did the like the splash when Darby was on the stretcher was yeah. just oh, it was horrible. But no, this this match was absolutely carnage. The crowd were with it all the way in every single story beat along the way they were with it. I feel like it was such a great shout giving Darby the first fall in the way they did it because it was like now the crowd really like oh my god he's going to do it he's going to beat him. And yeah, the, the wrestling itself was great. Uh, it kind of, and I don't know if this is a comparison you'll get, Ross. Don't know if you remember the second Gargano Champa match, which the one that Champa won, where it was like he tore the ring up and it was like. Yeah, yeah. I think that's my favorite it, one of their matches, yeah. Yeah, it was one of the rare times where like a crowd's not booed, but like reacting in like utter horror. Like they were like, oh my God, like this is the worst thing ever. And towards the end of this match, the crowd felt like that. And I feel like I want to give a shout out to Nick Wayne's mom, who's. I don't know if she's ever had acting lessons, but she was an absolute star. Like she played her role incredibly in this match. I thought she was so important to the ending and the bit where she threw water on Christian was fantastic. But yeah, I loved everything about this match. I feel like, like I said, there was multiple match of the year candidates on the show for me and they were all so different to one another. Like they weren't comparable in terms of like stylistically, but in terms of quality, like for what they were meant to be, uh, I thought they were absolutely out of this world. And this match, I included in that. Obviously, the, the finish is, is the main thing. Nick Wayne turning heel, which I'm actually going to say is quite justified because of obviously we had AR Fox and Swerve going into Nick Wayne's academy and beating him up. And then they did things for like different reasons, which I'm not going to go into. But like Darby was just like very forgiving of AR Fox. Nick Wayne just kind of had to go along with it. So I, yeah. I, I actually like get why Nick Wayne, it does make sense. It's not one of these like, what the fuck's this happened for? Like, I know in. I don't want to compare it to WWE, but like a lot of people are quite confused as to why like Jimmy Uso suddenly wants to be back in the bloodline. 
Whereas I feel like this heel turn very much made sense. And I feel like, yeah, Nick was great in his role. And then obviously everything happened after the match, which was, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll get onto after Brom's had his bit. But yeah, for the match itself, I would absolutely recommend that people watch it. I thought it painted Christian yeah. out to be just the most horrible man alive. And yeah, it was it was brilliant. I think it's quite interesting with the Nick Wayne thing to see where his character goes, because I really hope that they don't turn him into uh, almost like a Dominic type character. I hope that they steer clear from that kind of heel. And I hope that he gets a bit more ballsiness to him. Um, and he's not so chicken shit because we know how good he is. But I do love that now we've already got kind of a six man tag lined up and there's so many different variations where that can go for the next few weeks. Doesn't have to be Edge versus Christian, which I'm sure will happen at some point, but it doesn't have to happen now. And I also think it's really interesting with the Adam Copeland coming through. And afterwards, he says in the scrum that he's signed to be part of AEW. He's not going to be part time. He's going to be doing Dynamite, going to be doing Collision, going to be doing pay-per-views. So it seems like he's all in, if you excuse the pun. And uh, it's going to be a very interesting time for Edge fans in AEW. It'll be interesting to see where ratings go because... Obviously, it's quite interesting to see in, in modern-day wrestlers if there is any needle movers in the wrestling world anymore. It'd be interesting to see if Edge is one for AEW. Yeah, I, I don't think anything fresh to say on that on the main event, apart from, isn't it just bizarre how much of Nick Wayne we've seen recently? <laughs> yeah, it was an incredible get by progress to get him for those past few months. Yeah, I think it's just, just wild to think that he's a guy that we saw... Um, Saw so much in the flesh, and then he's like in the the what Josh and I talked about as the pay per view of the year. He's not only a key part in the finish, but then a key part in the element that involves Sting and a debuting Edge. Like if you're a young wrestler, and he's a very very young wrestler, you can't really fantasy book your first first big yeah. thing better than that, right? Incredible, right? In your hometown as well. Does um, Edge in AEW excite you, Brum? Yeah. Yeah, it does. More as a kind of, considering he's already using the word era, I don't want to steal another JY element, but as almost like a catalyst, I think all the stuff to happen around him, I'm excited about. Will he have a couple of enjoyable matches there? Yeah, I'm sure he will. I'm sure there's a few, but am I gagging to see him having a main event with all these guys? No, but I think it's just everything he brings. I would also love... (laughs) <laughs> depending on the length of their contract, to see a really cheesy babyface or tweener ENC run at some point. But um, yeah, apart from that, we'll see. I think that it'll also be interesting to see a quote-unquote old-timer going into that locker room as well, because we've obviously seen someone else over the past year or so go into that locker room and cause a bit of hell. He doesn't strike me as that sort of person at all, but it will be interesting to kind of find out in two, three years' time his take on that locker room? Yeah, so I kind of like, I mean, I've followed Edge quite a lot and like, as a guy, from the stuff you you hear him say and stuff, he comes across really well, but no, I I agree with you, I don't want to kind of count my chickens just yet given what somebody else did in their run, and and they said pretty positive things when they debuted in their like press conference afterwards about like dream matches and wanting to help the locker room and all that stuff. I'm a lot more confident that Edge's run will go better than somebody else's and i actually thought his wwe run was pretty good i don't think he had too many like bad matches i thought he had some really great matches i think the cell match with seth in saudi arabia was really good i thought the grayson waller match at madison square garden was good i thought his last match in wwe with shameless was really good so no i'm really excited about his matches to come in AEW. and like you said i think it'll bring a lot of eyes to it 
I thought the the production of the debut and the way they did it, I feel like AW do these really well. I feel like the debut of Punk was like perfect. The ending to the pay-per-view where they had Adam Cole and then Danielson come out was really good. And I feel like they got this one spot on. I feel like it was helped massively by the fact they got Metalingus, the song. Yeah, I thought the way they did it was absolutely brilliant. It definitely got me really excited as an Edge fan down the years. And uh, yeah, I'm just really excited, to be honest. Yeah, my two last things on Edge are that I wrote this on the Twitter earlier that I think it's actually quite a nice thing that the WWE did what they did for him with the 25 years of Edge SmackDown episode where they pretty much made him the the highlight of the whole show and then did the match against Sheamus where he won the match then had a lovely send-off with Beth and his kids and they didn't have to do that. And at that point, I think they knew that he was going to AEW and sometimes they can be petty and they have been petty in the past. So I think that was a yeah. lovely thing that they did and it's something that they did for Dean Ambrose as well with his farewell tour. And also the the second thing, I don't know if this is true because you read a thousand things on the internet and most of them are wrong, but I read that apparently he basically named his price and WWE were like, we're not going to hand you that price. And then he was able to be a free agent and probably get that price with AEW. So he's in a situation where he's, what, 50 years old, wrestling at a price that he feels he's worth. He's in a new universe now where he's going to be creatively fulfilled and it's an exciting time to be an edge fan and, and if you're the type of fan who refuses to watch AEW because xyz and you're a big fan of edge and you don't watch him there then you're just falling down the rabbit hole of tribalism and it's a bad thing i think it's stupid but each to their own wrestling should be fun so we move on to the round table yes this is the round table This week, we have ourselves the question that we relayed at the top of this podcast. Name the best card that you possibly can of matches that you've seen live using only one wrestler each time. So no picking two Osprey matches, for example. And we've got seven cards from seven of the wrestling should be fun, lads, including you, Brum. Let's kick off with you. And you've gone with the shortest one with just seven. Let's hear you out. Well, I think seven matches is the optimum wrestling card. And I'll I'll stand by it. So to open, gonna go with a match which I think on watchback, probably a middling match by the standards of of what was all in. And I think the history books will note it for its not for its in ring action, but for what happened backstage. However, being there live, seeing Samoa Joe versus CM Punk <laughs> was just a wonderful, wonderful moment. I think not only was it an opening match for a non-WWE company packing out Wembley Stadium, which you know still sounds bonkers, even though it actually happened, but the match itself affected as a perfect opener. Well, an opener for the main card. Obviously, we, we had the pre-show before it, because obviously the crowd were red hot. Hearing all the people boo the shit out of Punk and treat Joe like a returning hero was just absolutely magic way to to kind of kick off the atmosphere in the nearly said in the building does a stadium count as a building anyway (laughs) (laughs) and also like even more so thinking selfishly but for me but i think for people like me where that punk joe roh trilogy is like one of their tenants of your wrestling fandom to see that as that match in such an important match for us british wrestling fans was yeah was just really fucking emotional and fantastic. And I think if it's a good enough opener for Wembley, it's a, a good enough opener for my card too. <laughs> Fair. What second? 
I'm going to go progress and uh, style in more ways than one. And I'm going to go with match two is the women's match. Um, <laughs> and then <laughs> it's really weird because I've been on here actually before I get called a, a hypocrite, a critical of gimmick matches. And this is probably the most gimmick match that has ever happened in wrestling history. And it's <laughs> made, which is the clock strikes midnight match with Nina Samuels, and Alexis Falcon from day three of super strong style. Yeah. Just absolutely bonkers match, but I think credit to the Progress like live production team who did a great job, but obviously both performers absolutely wet put everything into it. And yeah, resulted in generally like one of the most memorable matches of the year. Like it was a really easy one to get on this yeah. list. Next one, contender for one of the most underrated matches of the year, this. Enter versus Mark Haskins from the Defy Splendid and the Vile show in the ballroom. I thought was Fucking unbelievable quality Bro, match. Just to, to pause you there, it's also literally my third match on my card, so I absolutely agree with you, everything you're about to say. Just so brilliant. Like, it had an incredible story. It was incredibly violent. Also, just like, seeing Haskins back to his best was just also so positively, like, emotionally positive. It's so good. And also, just fucking Kenta in the ballroom. Like, what's not to love? So, yeah, that was my three... In the middle of the card, just a cheeky Osprey Shingo match from uh, <laughs> Red Pro's 11-year anniversary show. I think this bears repeating. I, I might have not even actually said it before, but Shingo and Will Osprey have wrestled each other five times. All those five matches, a Wrestling Observer five-star matches are above. And like, obviously, it's just Meltzer's opinion, but I mean, it's my opinion too. Like, but to have that as a barometer, like... That is absolutely ridiculous standard that all your matches are, are at that level. And this was this was fantastic. And just to see it live, yeah, just great. Outrageous, really. Next one's a tough one. I'm going to go Sunshine Machine and Smoking Aces from day two of Super Strong Style because I was absolutely distraught by the finish of that match with Sunshine Machine losing. But it just summed up an incredible record-breaking title reign. Just capped it off in style over like half an hour of four lads just going absolutely wild. I think now I'm over the heartbreak of it. I can like look back on it and appreciate for its absolute bangerness. Yeah. Um, One hell of a blade job by uh, Chuck Mambo in that as well. Oh, just ridiculous. But it was just so, so good that match. And also, you need a, a heartbreak moment on every card to make the good stuff taste sweeter, don't you? Yep. As Ange Postacoglu says, it's all about joy through suffering. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, <that was> <laughs> and then you need a cool down match, right, before the main. Yep. So I'm going with the Nigel McGuinness Magic Show, and I'm going Nigel McGuinness versus JCH. Just, <laughs> so uh, for um, listeners who, who weren't at the show, explain the feud. So JCH was one of the, well, I think probably the main. He got the most stage time after McGuinness. He was the, and he wasn't a plant. He was the guy, well, he could be, but he's just not told us. But he was the guy <laughs> in the crowd that McGuinness pulled up to do all his magic tricks on. And um, yeah, I was, as this is technically a match on a card, I'd probably rebook it with a London dungeon finish, but Jason, <laughs> magic was still really entertaining. So let's hope main that, event. Uh, JCH is next strong. <laughs> yeah. Main event, I think probably people can guess it. I'm going to be just like Tony and and bookend my all-in cards with Punk Joe and, and finish it with MJF Cole. Yeah, like 
what's more to be said about this match that probably hasn't already main event storytelling at its finest i think what i loved so much about it there was so many different because of how key that storyline's been to aw storytelling there is so many different swervy finishes that aw could have gone but they just got it right they just made it all about the show and all about the moment which i think definitely for me for me their live was was the best way to go and it yeah, it just made it feel even more special. So even my kind of cynical self just got warms and fuzzies after that main event. Great stuff, man. Well, it's a very good card. And uh, hopefully your Noah chap will uh, reach <laughs> on, a, on a dark match up against Tate Mayfair's in October. <laughs> my Noah chap. That's probably future um, <laughs> Noah champion in a Mori talking about that. But... <laughs> Did you want to stay for the rest of the cards or do you have to shoot off? Is Josh going to main event? Yeah, Josh going to main, main event, yeah. I'll tell you what, I'll I'll probably be a good a good husband and and drop off now. But it's it's no diss to you, Josh, even though we've established you're one of my favourite Joshes in the wrestling business. <laughs> Are you in the I wrestling... mean, I'll take second place to Josh Barnett. That's absolutely fine with me. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't say you were second place. I said you were one of my favourite Joshes. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Really appreciate that, guys. Have a lovely evening and thanks for letting me come back on tonight. No worries, bro. See you soon. Cheers, guys. So let's move on to Shafi's card, Josh. I don't think a lot of the rest of the people have gone through like similar to what Brum did, where they've figured out their match card in terms of where they sit. But let's just read out the, the matches. Schaff has gone for Jacobs versus Ishii at the RevPro anniversary show, a match that he spoke about last week on the podcast. He loves his horse wrestling, and this was very much it. And if you know him, then you know that he's pretty much on the Jacobs train to the point where <laughs> he'll just book him to wrestle in his back garden. So... <laughs> <laughs> More Jacobs in our shows, please. Then he's got also got the MGF Adam Cole match. Fantastic main event. I think we can all agree on that. He also went with Will Ospreay versus Shingo from the RevPro anniversary show. He also went with Falcon versus Samuels from Progress. He also went with Smoking Aces against Sunshine Machine. He also went with Punk versus Joe. <laughs> he's gone with FTR versus Bucks added to it as well. Very good match from the uh, all-in cards at Wembley. A match that had just stupendous amount of near falls and fantastic tag team wrestling. Talking about fun tag team wrestling, he's also added in Sting and Derby versus Christian Swerve from the All In Show in the coffin match. Who'd have thought a coffin match would be on the same card as a Clock Strikes Midnight match? Love that. <laughs> and he's then got Zack Sabre Jr. against Ricky Knight Jr. from the Rev Pro anniversary show. So we clearly had a great time at that show. And he's also ended it with Michael Oku versus Trent Seven from that show as well. So he clearly had a great time at the Copper Box, and I know that he said Copper Box is one of his favourite venues to go and watch wrestling, so hopefully there's more opportunities to do that soon. Hopefully he's able to get to the New Japan show in two weeks' time. Brum obviously has gone through his one, so let's go to 90s. He's the first one that's mentioned the men's Money in the Bank ladder match from the O2 in the, in the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, a match that was a lot of fun and ended with... Damien Priest as our winner and featured that insane bump with uh, Logan Paul and Ricochet. He's gone for a match that ha- that has yet to be picked at All In. Uh, Jay White, Robinson and Takeshita versus Omega Abushi and Page. Fantastic match. A match that was largely been forgotten, which is mental. He's also gone with Oku versus Trent Seven from the anniversary show. Also gone with FTR versus Young Bucks. Also gone with Smoking Aces versus Sunshine Machine. He's gone with Jericho versus Osprey as his Osprey match of choice. Then he's gone with Trebe versus Cara Noir, which is an interesting one. I know other people have gone for the match where um, it was Tom Dawkins versus 
Spike Trevay. This is the cage match, of course, at Heavy Metal. Uh, the uh, rivalry closer that unfortunately ended in, in injury for Cara Noir, uh, but also an iconic match, so I can understand where he's gone for it. Then he's been the first one to pick Bloodline versus Usos. You're not going to get much complaint from me, <laughs> Mr. J. Uso here. So, um, yeah, and an epic moment at the O2 with the lads watching that live with everyone. Fantastic times. He's also gone for a match at It's Clobbering Time, Chapter 154 for Progress. It's the first time that this has been picked. Team Miller versus Team Mayfairs, which was Team Miller was Simon Miller, Gene Money, and Charles Crowley, one of the greatest teams ever put together, um, <laughs> up against Team Mayfairs, which was Mike Bird, Tate Mayfairs, and Casey Navarro, someone that I hope on hope we get to see a lot more of in the ballroom because he was awesome. And he's finished with MGF versus Adam Cole, which is the right call, let's be honest. Then we've got the last two from the other guys that aren't here. It's Dom who's gone Punk B. Joe, of course, two of his absolute faves. He's gone for the Osprey match, which was uh, super strong style. Osprey, Robbo, and Newman against CPF, which was an absolutely amazing match. And I really wish that I could have chosen this as well, but there's quite a funny reason that I couldn't. Robbie X versus Leon Slater. He's gone for from uh, Riot Cabaret, a match that was a lot of fun. He's gone for FTR versus Young Bucks. Falcon versus Samuels. Smoking Aces versus Sunshine Machine. He's also gone for the cage match between... Spike and Cara Noir and MGF versus Cole. So that takes us to JCH, who's gone a little bit different, as always. <laughs> He's gone for Punk versus Joe, of course, as his number one, because why wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then he's gone for two matches that happened at G Money's Daft Lad Emporium at the Tufnel Park Dome, which was a fantastically fun show. If you haven't seen it, go out your way to watch it. It was so much fun. It was a narrative-led wrestling show based around a whodunit of who killed Callum Newman. It was amazing. <laughs> the opening match was Callum Newman versus Jack Bandicoot versus Leon Slater, which was just as good as you could imagine. Then it went to a camp match, which was uh, based around the Butlins camp style matches between <laughs> Dean Ormark and <laughs> Dan Maloney. Dan Maloney was a pirate and came out with a pirate flag and was the baddie. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> then he's gone for a match that you'll later see I picked and was the reason that I couldn't pick a lot of matches he picked the Battle Royal at Riot Cabaret that featured Simon Miller versus Murdoch versus Man Like Jerese versus Danny Black versus Charles Crowley versus Alexis Falcon versus Session Moff Martina versus Mr. Blobby <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of you guys not booking Blobby well you're not getting on the front page of Metro <laughs> He also went for Jericho versus Osprey, Robbie X versus Michael Oku, Ishii versus Jacobs, and Smoking Aces versus Sunshine Machine, which, <laughs> which is fantastic because, as we all know, with JCH, he's a massive CM Punk fan and he dislikes anyone <laughs> that says otherwise. So he hasn't picked a Kenny Omega match and he hasn't <laughs> picked an Adam Cole match. <laughs> so that leaves to me. I went with one that someone hasn't picked yet, which was Repro Revolution Rumble. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Michael Oku. Fantastic match. Really enjoyed that. Then the Mr. Blobby match, because why not? And it was fantastic. <laughs> then the first pick of, of this match, which, I, which I'm surprised, I thought this match would be an uh, absolute shoo-in for most people, was Tom Dawkins versus Spike Gervais. This was the match where Spike Gervais came out basically as Cara Noir and wrestled as Cara Noir to the point where <laughs> um, where Tom Dawkins was able to uh, take the makeup off of uh, Spike and and become Cara Noir once again, win the match and win the right to be Cara Noir in a beautiful moment that uh, me and Josh may have cried at. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've also gone Smoking Aces versus Sunshine Machine. 
Kenta versus Haskins, Bloodline versus Usos, because, you know, it's, it's all about moments in the match. Yeah, it was 25 yeah. minutes of waiting around and then five minutes of fantastic wrestling. But boy, was that five minutes great. CM Punk versus Joe, FTR versus Young Bucks. I think I'm the only person that picked the Stadium Stampede match. Just love that match. And MGF versus Adam Cole to end it. So that leads us to the main event. Let's talk through yours, Josh. So first of all, as I've alluded to, I want to send my apologies to criticising Tony Khan for booking 10 matches on a main card. Um, I initially, when Ross asked me for this, I went through the shows I've been to this year and kind of picked like the best one or two matches from those shows and then realised I had like a long list of like 15 and really struggled to cut it down because I kind of took the question differently and I kind of wanted to book a proper show with the mindset of I wanted to book a show that I'd enjoy. Wrestling should be fun after all. So I booked a show where I could just really enjoy myself. So I've, as most people have, I've opened with Punk Joe. The fact that they opened a pay-per-view with CM Punk versus Samoa Joe still kind of blows my mind a little bit, like in a good way. Yeah. To follow that, I've got a tag match with uh, an impromptu one that wasn't announced in advance. Uh, we've got Dan Maloney and Man Like Darice against Callum Newman and Maverick Mayhew from Progress Chapter 151. It was just a really good, really fun tag match with four really good wrestlers. Yeah. Third, I've gone the Kenta-Mark Haskins match. I think when you imagine in your mind what a Kenta match could be like live, it was that match. It was everything yeah, it was I amazing, wanted to see it? from a Kenta match. And like uh, Brum said, to see Mark Haskins at that level again was was great. Uh, after that, I've gone to the Progress 1 from Chapter 151, which was a four-way with Leon Slater, Danny Black, Leo Rush and Robbie X, which was absolutely as mental as it looks on paper. Yeah, I'm really sad that we've never got that solo uh, Slater versus Rush match. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I'd be able to get that to be honest. It'd just be carnage. <laughs> Uh, my next match is, so my local promotion in Leicester is uh, Wrestling Resurgence, which is kind of like, it, well, it's in the theatre, so it's kind of more plays into that aspect. And I've gone with a match between uh, Danny Luna and Alex Windsor, who are two wrestlers who I've heard a lot about and never had the chance to see either of them live, I don't think, uh, and was just really impressed by it. thought it was just a really solid uh, wrestling match. Alex Windsor's really good. I know she's had uh, her injury issues in the past, but uh, yeah, she she really impressed me. After the match, after that one, sorry, no biggie. I've gone FTR Young Bucks from All In. Um, yeah. I just want to see FTR Young Bucks, to be honest. After that, I've gone a slightly different type of tag team match. I've gone another wrestling resurgence one. And you kind of have to bear with me here, everyone, because I've gone for uh, the Moneywood Blondes, which is uh, Gene Money and his tag team partner, who he also refers to as Gene Money, doing a Hollywood Blondes gimmick. And they are the, I can't remember what the name of the title is, but they're basically the tag champions in wrestling resurgence. Uh, and they had a match against Sunshine Machine, which I saw in August, I think. Yeah. And it was just as fun as you could imagine that would be on paper. After that, I've gone for Adam Cole and MGF against Aussie Open. Getting to see them win the, ta- the RH Tag Titles Live was an absolute pleasure. The pop. I, and a friend of mine said this. I've never actually watched the pay-per-view back, but I have seen the reaction to this. And I don't think it came across on TV just how loud the pop was when they won, as it was in the in the stadium. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was off the scale. Uh, my kind of semi-main kind of sandwiched in between that and my main event is another match I saw in Leicester, which was Sky Smiths and Emily McKenzie. I think they've had other matches together. Is that right? On they like must a show have, together, yeah. like the or something. Can't remember, but um, I can't remember where else they had another match. But yeah, this match was again just a really solid wrestling match between two really good wrestlers, and I just think it'd be a perfect kind of. I always feel sorry for matches which go on like semi-last because everyone kind of at that point just wants to see the main event. Um, yeah. 
But no, I absolutely trust these two to have a great match as I saw, got the pleasure of seeing. And my main event is the match you spoke about, Ross, which is uh, Tom Dawkins and Spike Gervais. I just thought for so many reasons, as you will know, because I'll sit next to you. Um, <laughs> I thought this match was perfectly told storytelling in terms of a good guy against a bad guy. I thought it was booked perfectly. I thought the story elements were brilliant. As you've said, Spike coming in as Cara Noir was perfect. And I feel like the moment where Tom kind of rubbed the paint off and rubbed it on himself was great. It was definitely a wrestling match that was wrestled by two former drama school students. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I also want to shout out the star of the match, which was Claire, who took some fucking hell of a bump and did some great moves. She was fantastic. And uh, yeah, then the afters and him getting to dress up as Karen again was, was brilliant. So yeah, that's, that's my main event because wrestling should be fun and I kind of want to go home happy. Absolutely. So those are the cards. And just to tell everyone that the most picked match of these cards, which means that it's the best match of the year so far, in my view. Smoking Aces versus Sunshine Machine in the ladder match. The boys from Sunshine Machine, wrestling should be fun, favourites, yet again. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've also got, we've one less pick. Uh, we've got CM Punk versus Samoa Joe, FTR versus Young Bucks, and MGF versus Adam Cole, which I think most people will agree, fantastic matches. But proof that if you haven't been able to go and see the Smoking Aces Sunshine Machine match, make sure that you go out and find it because if it's worthy of being in the list with those three matches you know it's good but once again thank you for the question from last week and we had had a load of fun going through our favorite matches of the year and it wets our whistle for the wrestling should be fun awards in december josh did you have anything that you wanted to plug i can mention my blog nobody'srave.com i know we spoke about my uh, bray white blog last week which i put out a while back I'm currently going through and doing a WWE 2K23 universe mode, which is a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I think as we've kind of demonstrated with our cards, I think if you can get the chance to kind of go out and watch live wrestling, there's really nothing that kind of compares to watching it. On t- I know it's like it's good to watch stuff on TV and that, but actually going to a show and watching some of these matches live, yeah. watching that Tom Dawkins Spike Gervais match on TV was great, but being there live and getting to experience the atmosphere and stuff was just next level for me. So for yeah, people absolutely. who have an opportunity to go, be able to get to a show, absolutely go out of your way and try and do it. Absolutely. There's some incredible cards being put on across the country, whether it be London, Leicester, any other city or town in, in the UK. Make sure that you have a look at, at your local independent and see what's around because there are some fantastic wrestlers that weren't being seen by as many people as possible. And we are wrestling should be fun. You can find us on Twitter at WSBFUN, Instagram, wrestling should be fun, TikTok, wrestling should be fun, threads, wrestling should be fun, and now Facebook, wrestling should be fun, where tonight I think we will be giving away a free shirt to a fan who entered our competition. And there'll probably be more competitions coming your way on the Facebook page in the future. So make sure that you follow us there. And of course, Make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast for your weekly listen to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast, where coming up soon, we are going to have an interview with the former All Black Junior, former Progress Man, where he's going to be talking about the book that he's written, which is going to be a lot of fun. And I'm pretty sure that Dom is going to be in charge of that one as he's the literature man from the teaching world. I think it's the perfect combination. So look out for that one coming soon. And I think we'll probably be doing some pieces this month on the new japan show coming up and the progress show as well so lots coming up in the world of wrestling should be fun don't forget to look after your mates and drink lots of water see you pals wrestling should be fun should be fun wrestling should be fun
Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. 